this even turn it up to 10 sort of like a bad habit we're gonna do it again ready or not we're gonna tie up some ends go tell a 36 try to grab all the friends we're back like we never left on track like a treble clef skip a beat on the seventh rest bring feast we don't pass them over we got the first fruits no way to show us this yoke is easy this burns light even with a loud mouth trying to eat at the mic even if we down south the humidity spike bales torn in two so we gonna be all right it's all grace to the half goes off heretics better run to the top blows off got them all stood still like a job full of botox time to break them down like a jaw on a blow pop don't stop they're in need of it though through grace by faith they could easily grow new wave new age new way to see bro now one truth life one way to his throne April 11th, <laughs> Messiah Matters. This this is Messiah Matters number 425. I'm back in the information station after two weeks. My name is Caleb Hag. I'm also back in the information station. Not. I'm Rob Vanoff. You're on the other side. I, uh, other side I'm of the state. The, you wish you I'm were in the information station. I'm closer to America than Caleb is. <laughs> yeah, it's Tuesday. It's not Wednesday. That is true. Love is bigger. Yeah, it's not Wednesday. It's Tuesday. It's just what my show notes say. We're pretending it's Wednesday today. It's actually Tuesday. We got the uh, special, the special show time today. Why? Well, because if you don't know, tomorrow is a Shabbat. It is the last day of Passover. I do not participate in an eighth day as traditional uh, rabbinic Judaism does. So tomorrow is the last day for me. And of course, as it is a Shabbat, Rob and I will not be. Uh, 
in the office or working. Still grooving. How's it going, man? What's up? Two weeks going off. Well. How's, how's it been? It's been going well. It's been, uh, I've eaten a lot of matzah. Yeah. You know, one one of the thoughts, though, is I we like uh, lox. You know, we like salmon and cream cheese on our matzah. But salmon is not one of the, uh, you know, biblical meats to be enjoyed with matzah. So why is that? Well, because it says in Deuteronomy 16, it says, you know, because there are other Pesachim offerings like the bowls and things throughout the week. I got an but argument for me. We're not in the Therefore, temple, so, right. you know. I, I got an argument for you, though. Okay, what's <laughs> Yeshua raises on Sunday. It yeah. is Pesach. It is the it's the and they eat fish of, with matzah and he and he says and he says I'm hungry Boom. and they give him fish. Boom. If it's good Boom. enough for if it's good enough for God, it's good enough for me, right? So yeah, salmon could be likened to tilapia or whatever the whatever the, was the good was on fish the, supply yes. of the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, yeah I hear that. I think that's good. Uh, let's see here. Hang on, just one second. Um, okay, let's do this one, and let's do this one. It's such a fine line between stupid and, and clever. Yeah, it's just clever. a little turnabout. The lie detector test determined that was a lie. Weights and measures. Thank you, Lewis Bear, for blessed. the uh, super chance. Right. Uh, well. We sure could talk about a whole lot today, couldn't we? We got a lot on the agenda. We do have some emails that have come in, and uh, I saw a meme that I want to talk about the other day. My son asked me uh, yesterday who was the first person who ever created a meme. I have no clue. But I've been watching them on Facebook, and uh, I do have one to talk about. Okay, so um, let's go to my show notes, which wrongly said it was Wednesday. It is Tuesday. No, I, I think I have an answer for that. Okay, go ahead. It was it was because they didn't have um, meme technology in the digital age, but yes. I I would say way back when when the people of Israel were singing, Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. Ooh, burn, burn! I think that was a meme that went around, and guess guess what? It was offensive to King Saul. I wonder yeah. why? Because at, at the beginning it sounds good. It's like. Saul has killed his thousands. They're like, and David, his 10,000. So if you, if, you, if you had the meme where it's the dude who's like, yay, and then the next one, he's mad. It's like, dude, but it's the same dude. I don't know. So yeah. tell Ben, that's a me- that was an ancient meme Got from it. the Bible. All right. Good to know. Uh, before Actually, before we jump in, and we will jump in here in just a second, uh, we don't want to forget to let you be part of the conversation. Chegatorresource.com is the email address. Uh, and of course, you can all, always leave us a voicemail, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Go to Messiah Matters for any past shows or all sorts of stuff about this show. You can also buy merch if you'd like to. Rep it. Rep the merch. And last but not least, don't forget to go to Torah Resource for all of your Counting the Omer needs and a Pentecost needs that uh, is now coming up uh, in, what, 45 days. So uh, I, I have, a, I have to, to say something. I would be repping my my awesome baby blue yes. uh, Messiah Matter hoodie today. Yes. Yes, you would. But my wife informed me that I wore it the other day and I dribbled food. <laughs> Yes, as a good she's wife like, does. She, and I was like, oh. So <laughs> now it's like, I need to do that, you know, spray it up with some stain remover because it's that nice baby blue color. I, and I, I would need look a new like one. a total slob. 
I got to get a new one, and the reason why is because I I uh, I. I was a little too ambitious uh, with my late with my weight loss, and I got a large instead of an extra large, and it is a bit tight. So <laughs> I need to I need to up it. <laughs> Either that or I need to lose more weight. Uh, yeah. Anyway, okay. <laughs> let's uh, let's jump in. Let's jump into it. Um, this one's going to be for Rob because I, I have never uh, I've never delved into this, but uh, Ascender, I and we like actually have it. we actually have two uh, comments from Ascender that we're going to read today, I believe. Senator says, so just for historical study, is Danby's English Mishnah edition reputable? I think Josephus and even Philo are better sources, though. Okay, go ahead. Okay, Danby was, I think, boy, I haven't looked at I think he was like a Christian, some sort of uh, flavor of Christian, maybe not 100 years ago, maybe in the, I don't know, maybe 50, 100 years ago. I don't know when Danby did it. It doesn't suck. So if you can get, I would say this, if you can get a good high buy, praise from Van Hoff here, it doesn't suck. <laughs> it, it doesn't totally suck. And what I mean by that is it, if you can get, if you see it at a half price books for like 10 bucks, grab it for, you know, grab it. I don't remember yeah. if Danby is all in one, vo- one volume or if he has more than one actual volume. I don't, I don't remember. Um, we have to, but we have to, we have to it, uh, comment. It's not I, awful. I, we have to comment on this. Look, I, I, I now uh, this and, is not a it, dig on it, the other. The other big one is the Neusner Yale. It's just called the Mishnah. It's like, boom. and the problem with that, and even one of my my own yeah. teacher, Marty Jaffe, did some of the work for the big Neusner volume. The problem with that one is it's all done according to Neusner's outline style, where it's like A, B, and like he tries to break each. A traditional unit into a kind of outline form because he's pushing this way of like, look, well, you have to read the Mishnah as according to this outline form. Well, Danby doesn't do that. Danby just tries to give you translation with some clarification comments on the side. So, you know, it's like a Bible translation, you know, use a couple different, if you, if you, if you have access to a couple different English translations of the Bible, you know, it, it's a good practice to be aware of what's going on in more than one. Same thing with the Mishnah, you know? So, yeah. Okay, so, but I want to comment on, and this isn't a dig on a sender in any way, shape, or form, but uh, at the end of his comment, he says, I think Josephus and Philo are better sources, though. Better sources for what? So, I think the Mishnah, maybe, not Danby. Okay, but, 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 but here's the thing, is that, uh, Josephus and Philo are going to give you insight into a different time than and place for that matter, depending on what you know where you are in the because ultimately the right, it's like saying apples are better than oranges or something. Right, they're, exactly. they're really not the same thing. Yeah. So Josephus and Philo are going to give you a, a perspective on fir- on the first century history according to how they want to see it. We know that Josephus has false information in certain places within his histories. Philo is a, uh, you know, he's a Platonist uh, for the most part, they're very into philosophy. And uh, so you're, you're going to have different perspectives, but they're writing in the first century. Philo's in Egypt and uh, Josephus is all around, but mainly in, in uh, Israel. So you have two different perspectives in two different places at the same time, which is, which is good. But then 
The Mishnah is going to be 400 years later, not written necessarily in Israel, depending on who you talk to. And, uh, and it's, it's going to be a different perspective uh, completely in a different time, in a different time period. And that's just the Mishnah alone. So take, take translation out of it, just the perspective itself of, of what we would use those, those different sources for is going to be, is going to be different. Um, and this is one of the things that we continue to try to tell people, even, and I think that this is uh, even within uh, the scholarly realm. There are a lot of scholars uh, still, which is starting to change uh, a lot more, but uh, there are still scholars who will reference like the Talmud or the Mishnah uh, attempting to show something in the first century. And uh, it's, that is becoming very bad practice. In fact, uh, most scholars will get called out on, on that uh, these days. So um, within the scholarly world, scholarly world, that has shifted. However, within the non-scholarly world, within those who are sitting in the pews today, um, it is still, I think, accepted practice, to, which is why you have certain teachers within the Hebrew roots and the Messianic realm who will reference um, the Mishnah or the Talmud uh, in terms of the reference it for the first century, and, and there's not a big upcry. There's not a whole lot of people yeah, saying, Yeah, because those are the circles that, that actually believe there is such thing as a Messianic rabbi. <laughs> right. that that's actually a legitimate uh, uh, biblical office endorsed by Yeshua. Right. And, and I think we're going to say no. That's fantasy land. Um, and, and, uh, and, but here's the thing. We don't even have to look at. That's Jewish that's rabbinic candy land, as yeah, Rob has we, said in the past. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to look to even Jewish Christian relationship or, or Jewish Christian history, or even, we don't even have to run up the banner of, of, you know, the, the Inquisition or, Christian abuses of Jews over the year. We don't have to run into that. You can just look at Jewish discussion among Jews, and you can learn that, oh, they they understand. There are Jewish scholars, top Jewish scholars, that agree that the Talmud comes after the Gospels and actually responds to it, that the development of what we think of as rabbinic Judaism cannot be understood from a historical perspective Unless you include the fact that these rabbis are are emerging and developing their community boundaries in a world that has the gospel has gone out already in the world right. where they're being confronted with claims right. that the Messiah has already yeah. come and that he is the fulfillment he is the of the son of David etc and all this and they're going uh, no we need to like respond to that situation so um, yeah so in, anyway. But that is a flip that has changed. It's true that if you look at stuff like Alfred Edersheim, if you look at stuff from the 1800s and, and early oh, 1900s. Lightfoot. Lightfoot does a whole yeah. volume that comparing yeah. the, the, I mean, he has an entire volume comparing the Talmud and Mishnah to to the New Testament. Yeah, and, 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 and so and it's just taken it for way. granted that, and, and one big, if one way that I think is helpful to think about this, because a new term in the world scholarship is reception history. So right. like what we, one of the things we do when we look at, like Caleb did this when Caleb's looking at uh, uh, the manuscript Codex Bizet, for example, and you're looking at Luke 22 or whatever. And we're like, what we want to do is like, look at all the manuscript history. And then it's like, there's a story here. There's a story here of the gospel going out 
different translations, different scribes are copying it. And we're seeing the text right. kind of get modified here and there. And so what we're looking at is, is we're saying, okay, different communities at different times and places are retelling the story of Luke or retelling the text of Luke right. with some modifications. So that's reception history. Okay. We can take this idea of reception history and go, okay, what it used to be, people used to think, this is 1800s, 1900s, oh, we can read rabbinic history through the Talmud. And, and then we what we see is that that we try to read the gospel as a reception history of the rabbinic world. So now Jesus is a rabbi, the, the, that all the halakha that we read in the later Talmud was already the background. And so we try to understand the New Testament as part of the reception history of the oral Torah. But that, but now that's flipped. Now it's like, right. wait a minute, oral Torah really didn't emerge. The, the ideology of oral Torah is a response, at least in right. part, a response to yeah. the gospel. So now we have to read the Talmud as part of the reception history of the gospel. Right. The gospel came first. The gospel came first, and it was a very strong movement. It went out. They were persecuted for 200 years while, while the rabbis were not persecuted. So we have to remember that the first couple hundred years of the believers spreading out, translating, spreading the word about Yeshua, they were persecuted, and the emerging rabbis were not, in large part. Now, I understand things change when we get to the 4th, 5th century, you know, but um, anyway, that's all I have to say about Lot. Well, I'll tell you, but what's, where this really smacked me in the face was when I was studying um, the shift in and and how we get the ultimately it took me into how we get the Passover Seder today. In other words, the question that that, that really hit me came uh, in the form of what parts of the Passover Seder did Yeshua do? That was the first question. Now, now that I look back, it was probably the, the it might have been the right question at the time, but really there, uh, the, even the idea of a Passover Seder. I get it. I get it. Doesn't, doesn't play well. And, the, and it, so when, right. when people say to me, well, what part of the Passover Seder did Yeshua do? It's like, well, I know what you're asking, but there was no such thing as a Passover Seder. They didn't pass the around first booklets. Yeah, exactly. They they weren't passing they, out they literature. Didn't, they didn't have, you know, they didn't dip their fingers in the wine and do that. Like, they didn't have the four cups, right? They, so it's like, did they have wine? Clearly they had wine, right? right. But the oh, point but, is this. I've seen presentations where people, they take they take kind of a condensed version of a of a modern day Passover, Orthodox, Orthodox Passover Seder, and they right. then tell the story of the gospel by using that. Right. And, and that's, the question and, is, is the question is, okay, is that bad in and of itself? Or right. like, and is this different than going to, let's just say we go to the middle of the Congo or in the middle of South America where there's no, an unreached tribe, right? That has no knowledge of the modern world. And we're like, okay, we try to, ma we try to learn their language and their mythology or whatever, or their rituals. And then we try to map the gospel onto stuff they already know to try to help connect. Okay. To some degree, love requires some sort of connection with what people already know. You have to like connect somehow. But the but, question is at what point, at what cost? 
So hang on, but so, but what but 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 what you're what you what what you're saying is true, absolutely. However, the majority of people that I interact with, when it comes to Passover and seder's, did not grow up with these traditions. They did not grow up doing a Passover seder. In fact, I, we had thirty people, thirty-one people in our home on Passover Eve. About half of those people had never been to a Passover Seder. They'd never done anything Passover. And the very first thing I said was, if you have never done a, a traditional Passover Seder, after tonight, you still will not be able to say that you have been to a traditional <laughs> Passover Seder. <laughs> <laughs> because we're not going to do anything like nice. that. I'm glad you did that. Man. That's good. That's but but the, but the point is, is you know, you'll you'll have messianics and and people in the Hebrew roots. They'll say things like, "Oh, you know, well, we're going to dip our our parsley in salt water." And this is what Yeshua did when you know it says that he dipped his hand in the bowl with with Judas. This is what he was doing. That's not what he was doing, you know. Or uh, now we're going to lean on one one arm because you know, and it says that he reclined at table. This is what he was doing. That's not what he was doing. None of these traditions were, were established until much later. And they were established, I think, exactly for what, what Rob was saying. They are looking at the Gospels. They're looking at previous tradition within, uh, within Jerusalem and just Roman culture in general and saying, guess what? We had it first. We're going we're gonna to attach all these meanings to these things. And that way we can say, oh yeah, we do this because there's a, there's a meaning behind all this. But none of that was around in the first century. Right. The the rabbis had to formulate and kind of formulate a Passover Seder, which made the gospel impossible to penetrate. Right. And right? Yeshua that, it, and 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 the idea of Yeshua was a hack. We had all this first. He's just he's just ripping us off and he did it wrong. That's that's really, I think, a lot of the motive. The Korb, though, will agree. So I, I, it's not like we're trying to rip on the ancient rabbis. The idea is this: is like, yeah, there there are some basics that are that are required for the Pesach. You know, there are some basics, and then there are then that's biblical, and then there are things right. that are rabbinic. And the question is, if I go to the rabbinic things and say, oh, that points to Christ, that points to Christ, that points to Christ, even though you guys don't know it, and even though you invented these additional traditions to shore up the boundaries of who's in and who's out and who's truly right. Israel and who's not saved in a world where you were rejecting the gospel. Right. But just even though, even though all that's true, you didn't even know that you're doing all these things that are actually pointing to him. Now that's a, that's a, that's a, to me, that's like a magical hermeneutics. Like, in a way, you know what I mean? It's like her magical. You're like, <laughs> her now I'm going to read this text. <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to be, be making light because this well, is serious okay, wait, stuff. Well, this look, is serious look, stuff. Look, look, look like, let, let's, let's, let's be fair. Let's be fair to the other side. Okay, let's be fair to Judaism, the Judaisms that, that are emerging at this time. And Christianity does the same thing. I'm learning about this right now, again, as I go through a lot of the, uh, uh, the Church Fathers' writings. And I'm having to read a lot of them right now. And, and one of the things that uh, I'm learning more and more is, look, there are certain Church Fathers and what... And they come from a, a pagan, quote-unquote, pagan background, even though that word wasn't in play at the time, but, but we'll call it a pagan background. That pagan ba background is Gnosticism, and it is platonic in nature. And what a lot, not a lot, but 
Many of the church fathers, uh, the early church fathers, we're talking second century into the third century, Tertullian and, and, the, and the people before Irenaeus and all these guys, what they're trying to do is they're essentially saying, look, how do we make the philosophers whom Rome has placed on this pedestal and where all of the idea of like higher education and learning, these guys aren't morons. We have to be able to implement like some of what they believe. And so they look at like the book of John. They And what they say is, oh, look, he, use, he uses the word logos. And the logos is this Gnostic thing that, you know, and platonic thing that, that we've used before, which means that these guys had part of the truth. So what we see, so all of, I'm saying but all this. they are critical. The church fathers are trying to take a real sharp critical eye to all that background. I agree. They're definitely they, believing scripture is true, and they're believing the other stuff all needs to be sorted through. And right, and, but but even but there are some who are still trying to hold on to some of that background theology. And uh, the only reason I say this is not to bring in a, a completely different conversation, but simply to say that it's not only Judaism that is attempting to hold on to things from the past and give them new meaning. Christianity attempts to do this in some way uh, as well. Gregory, uh, Gregory, famously was the one who tried to take, um, you know, uh, pagan festivals and turn them in. This is a segue, by the way, and turn them in and and place them with Christian festivals and try to say we we're doing it better than the, than than the pagans. Once again, pagan. The word pagan uh, meant commoner in the in in that time. So it, that that's anachronistic to use that term. But you understand what I'm saying. So with all of that said, let's now move to the meme that I saw. Here's the meme that I saw, and uh, we're off we're off in in no man's land because this actually isn't part of the show notes. That's okay. It doesn't matter. Um, so. Uh, the meme that I saw, I'm scrolling through Facebook. I don't know why I hate Facebook with a passion these days, but nonetheless, I'm scrolling through Facebook and I see this meme and it says, Passover is biblical, Easter is Babylonian. Know the difference. And of course, I look in the comments and I was, I'm typing out something in, in, a, in, a, in the comment section and then I just realized nobody in this comment section is going to receive anything that I have to say here. Because I look at all the comments, amen, oh yes, you know, the Christian church is so is so far askew. Now, we could talk about what the Christian church is doing when they celebrate Easter. Um, however, there is a great article, which I will put in the show notes, that my father wrote on the title Easter. The, and I'm going to shock our, our audience by saying this. The celebration of Easter did not come, they didn't look at some pagan Babylonian uh, uh, celebration and say, hey, we're going to rip this off. That is not the progression. And you can look at this historically. And it's very easy to track this historically. You have the early, early, early Christians celebrating Passover. And this happens all the way up until the third and fourth century. They're celebrating Passover. And then what we have right during the, the council, leading up to the Council of Nicaea, they determine or I shouldn't say they determine, well, they try to determine at the Council of Nicaea, but they uh, they have this debate, which is known as the Quattro debate. And the question that they ask themselves is, should we be celebrating Passover or the re resurrection of Christ on the 14th of Nisan, hence the term Quattro which means essentially the 14ers? Right. The and they're using the word, Greek word Pascha. Right, right. They're well, not using the word East. Easter here. They're using the word Pascha, right? As as the what, what do we? How do we? They want. They all all sides agree. We want to celebrate Pascha. 
Right. That's right. Con- continue. And so the, and well, just a footnote on that, uh, most of the world still calls it Pascha. You get the, the term Easter in America, Germany, and some of those Germanic-speaking languages. The, the term Easter comes from the name of the month. Yeah. No Babylonian, no Christian ever living in Babylon called it Easter. <laughs> right, exactly. They called it Pascha. Pascha, right, exactly. And okay. they still do today, right? If you go, if right. you go to Turkey and go to a Christian church in Turkey, they're not going to call it Easter. They call it Pascha, right? It's Anyway, so you have this, this debate whether or not the church should celebrate. Now, we could talk— It's a calendar also, issue. It's a calendar issue. And, and we could talk about whether or not this was, was riddled with anti-Semitism, whether or not Constantine is the one who came in and changed the date. He wasn't, by the way. He um, took the cross and turned it into turned it a upside. spear. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I mean, all of this is, this is, uh, this is, Christian, or this is, this is Hebrew Roots propaganda, and that's exactly what it is. It's Hebrew Roots propaganda. It is started from people like Hislop. It started from people like Fossilized Customs by oh, yeah, Lou yeah, White. Yeah, Lou, Lou, Lou White. I, I mean, and... If that the, indeed is your real name. <laughs> <laughs> our, our chat room has been very quiet. I don't think anybody's posted in a long time. That makes Crickets. me wonder if I'm still Maybe connected. no one's watching. It's, nobody's Aside watching. Aside from they what was bigger. It's, well, <laughs> who knows at this point? Uh, we could have lost everybody. Anyway, it's okay. So... The point is, is that you have this calendar issue. The church decides, you know what, we don't, and there is a little bit of we don't want to worship at the same time as the Jews. And so that could be seen as anti-Semitic. Um, it could also be seen as we're trying to separate from the from the synagogue. And that could be seen as anti-Semitic as well. So I don't want there to, I don't want there to be this notion that, uh, that there wasn't like I'm not saying that there wasn't some sort of anti-Semitism that was involved. It, well, I think I, well I don't think we would call it anti-Semitism, but it is right. A, it is because they they are like, look, you if you go, even go to Chrysostom, okay, in the what third century or whatever. The idea is he's looking at the rabbinic communities. He's like they're not living by the Torah. Right, they're living by traditions of men, clearly. Right, and so that just fuels fuels his. Now, his, now again, he's also ignorant on some things. You know, I'm not saying that we need to listen to everything he has to say, but I'm like, so the idea is it's not anti-Semitism; it's it's a theologically based right. zeal that might be slightly misinformed. But the big pictures he's going with is like the scriptures are true. And the Jewish communities of his day and time are doing astrology. They're doing amulets. They're doing right. Uh, they're doing things that he's like are blatantly not part of their own script, not part of their own scriptures that they uphold. And so that gives him sadly, and we all need to watch this. This is boasting against the branches that Paul warns us all about in Romans eleven. He jumps on that domain. Now, um, it, it, we. We should mention, because I, I know what's going to happen. I'll clip this, okay? And when I clip this, we'll put this out. And, and the comments are going to say, you guys have no clue what you're talking about. First of all, let's just go to evidence. Once again, you can track through church history and the documents, the Council of Nicaea, all this. You can track the shift from a traditional Passover 
to it, whatever that might have looked like in the first, second, and third century, right? Uh, into the, the the fixed date of a Sunday, which is the closest to the uh, uh, Nisan 14, right? So the, the closest Sunday to Nisan 14 is where the Council of Nicaea fixes the celebration of of Easter. And they do that because this, they say this is when Christ rose, was on a Sunday, we should celebrate it on the Sunday closest to the Nisan 14, which is, by the way, why it is fixed to the Hebrew calendar and not fixed to the Gregorian calendar or any other calendar. It is fixed to the Hebrew calendar because it, it follows Nisan 14. And Once exactly, it, they wanted, they wanted, it, it, this is what they decided is most important, that he was in the grave on a weekly Shabbat. Right. So if so, so this is what they're saying. It's we're, we we're obligated to celebrate the Pascha. We're right. obligated to celebrate it in the spring. We are never going to celebrate it apart from the declaration of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Yeshua. And he was in the grave on a weekly Shabbat. Right. Those were all things that they could not negotiate. Those were non-negotiables. Right. And those now, are were independent. Right? Yeah, and they're think... all correct. Well, those things are correct, but were they right to try? Like I still, oh, I oh were they correct? Clear. It's a di- it that that's it's a, that's different. It's difficult. <laughs> yeah, it is difficult. I I I fully believe that the church should be celebrating Nissan fourteen as the Passover. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And I think that the church should fully be celebrating seven days of Passover as the scriptures clearly state. So, there, so the church, the church right now should be celebrating the seven days of unleavened bread. I fully believe that. And, and But do we celebrate the resurrection of Christ? Now, I fix it to the 14th. I would be considered one of the quadradecimans because I, fi- I fix it. Yeshua had his, his meal on the 14th. I know that I'm going to get, you know, I've written extensively on the chronology, but nonetheless, he dies on the 15th. Right. He's in the ground the 16th. He right. raises Petri the 17th. Has a, yeah. the basics of his argument maps just what your dad had done years ago. Right. And it's, it's yeah, good. But, but nonetheless, nonetheless. So it, well, now but there's we, also a consequence now is when is Pentecost? Absolutely. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. But, but, th- but this in my mind, uh, this in my mind is, is, uh, is dealt with in John. They take the bodies off the, off the uh, cross because the next day is a high Sabbath. Which I think means that they count the first omer and bring in the extra sacrifices. That's why it's a high Sabbath. A lot of people want to say that the high Sabbath is high. It's a high Sabbath because it's it's a Sabbath within uh, the festival. There's no evidence, no evidence in the it, that in the first century they called uh, uh, festival sa- Sabbaths a high Sabbath. There is evidence, however, that if the if a festival Sabbath was uh, uh, coincided with something else where there was extra. Uh, sacrifices, they called it a high Sabbath because, it, or a mega, mega can mean, mean like a great Sabbath because there was more uh, sa- sacrifices. So I think that we see that the counting of the Omer happened on the next day, on Nisan 15. Not the point. The Nisan 16, I, I apologize. Well, Nissan the end 15. of 15 into 16. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So anyway, not the point. So now we can come forward into our modern day churches. Now, the church that uh, my fam- family uh, was attending, their their uh, Easter celebration is is not like many Easter celebrations today at churches. There was no Easter egg hunt, there was no you know Easter bunny, there was none of that none of that stuff. Now that all could be debated on how that came into 
into the celebration of Easter. There is arguments on both sides. Some people say it came from a fertility rite uh, that was pagan, and the pagans brought it in. Others say, no, uh, eggs and bunnies uh, represented new life, and we see this throughout Christian art, and so this is how it came into the celebration of Easter. I'm not going to weigh in on that, because I honestly, I don't, I don't think that we are able to map that um, the, the way that people claim to be able to map that. Um, so I don't, well, it, I, seems, I don't, it seems that this is how I'm hearing it back to the meme. The meme is Passover. What was it? Passover is biblical. Easter is uh, Babylonian. Easter is Babylonian. Okay. I think what they're trying to say by the word Babylonian, they're trying to say it is ancient near Eastern Mesopotamian religious mythology and ritual. Right. But I would remind us that the Talmud is Babylonian. Right. <laughs> what does yes. that mean? Ooh, I mean, the Jews point. proudly say the Babylonian Talmud. Does that mean that it's full of ancient Near Eastern, you know, is it full of Easter eggs and, and you know, eggs and bunnies and fertility rites? No. So the meme was meant to spark attention. It got your attention. We're talking about it. But I think that... um yeah, it, it's it's. I'm not. I'm not going not to. Not helpful. It's not a helpful meme. I think I'm not meme, going to, memes that actually get people to think about truth are good memes. No matter what, the meme is not not right. Yeah, it's, Easter it's, is yeah. Easter is not a Babylonian tradition. It comes from it comes from Passover. That's all there is to it. And you can track once again. You can track this through the historical writings. Now, if we come into the modern time. We've got Once the again, receipts. We've got the, re I got the receipts, trust me. If we come into the modern time, and actually uh, on Pasca by, uh, what's his name? Uh, Melito of Sardis. Melito of Sardis. He's the first one in this, for those who have not watched this show before, the tradition of the Afikomen, I am, I am convinced, the tradition of the Afikomen at the Passover Seder comes from a Christian, which is why the Jews, if you ask the Jews, what, why, what is the afikomen? They say it means dessert. It doesn't. It means afikomenos, the coming it's a Greek, one. It's a Greek word yeah. that has been, or, that has made it in. It's like we're, we are holding up, rent, uh, what do you call it? Rent-free? We're, 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 yeah. We have a... Living rent-free in, in, the, in, in the Jews' yeah. minds. <laughs> there's a, there's a Melito of Sardis is living rent-free. Right. But the, but the rabbis, yeah, they don't, they have a different story. Oh, no, that's, it's like, what's this hanging on the wall here? But it's, oh. but it's a, it's a, I mean, look, I respect the Jews, but that is a dumb, that is a dumb interpretation. It means dessert. There's no evidence anywhere in any language that, that Afikoman means dessert. They made that up because they don't know what to say. Okay, but because it was originally polemical against against telling the story of Yeshua, right. and then the Maranatha, the Come Lord, you know, yes. Lord is coming as right. part of uh, part of the deal. Yeah. Now, I look. I, I, I don't think there's any. There's no other interpretation that's even close. Right. And that's the first receipt this. that we have, right? It's the first receipt we have. In the Mishnah. It's actually preserved in... But Melito Sar Sardis is before that. His on Pascha is before that. That's right. He's middle, middle second century, probably, right. I'd say. And he, used, and, he, and he talks of Christ as the Afikomenos. Not the, okay, so we're off in the weeds. But all of this to say, if we come into to modern day Christianity and look at the... You know, you know, now we have to talk about the flavors of Christianity. 
What happens in the Catholic Church is, in my mind, clearly uh, off in the weeds. They have created their own tradition, and I believe that that tradition uh, moves over into idolatry. Is it idolatry of Babylon? No, I think it's idolatry of self. It is created tradition um, from various from all sorts of different places, as the Catholic Church tends to do. If, and then that trickles down into other uh, flavors of Christianity as well, right? Episcopalianism is, is essentially uh, Catholic light, and uh, some might say that about Lutheranism. And, but then we get into the modern day, you know, like the seeker-friendly Right, like the Easter egg hunts and all these things at the at the large non-denominational uh, Christian churches and, and whatnot, and so the, certainly Easter takes a different flavor uh, than than perhaps maybe what it should be, but the notion that it comes from a Babylonian fertility right goddess is simply not true. It is a meme that has been taken because of the word Easter, which is a German word for the month of April. That's all. That that's what it is. I would encourage you to go to torresource.com and read the article on and just search Easter. You'll find the article. Um, yeah. Okay. Should we actually go to our show notes now? Let's do yeah. it. Ascend, let's go back to Ascender. Ascender says you mentioned that a talit is one of those rabbinic things that Messianic Jews do. I th- I think I said that. Is there something inherently wrong with that tradition though? Torah never really commands us uh, commands such a garment or uses the term talit, but it does say that four-cornered garments are to have tzitzit. What ancient Jews had was essentially a large mantle outer coat with small fringes containing blue in the threads. That's not radically different even from the modern talit gadol, I would think. Sometimes they will actually keep the rabbinic custom of having only white threads in the tzitzit because supposedly the, okay, so, so on and so forth. Anyway, um, let's go to the first part, and then we'll then we'll talk about the the second part. Okay, so um, in the ancient world, and there's you can find this, you can find pictures of this uh, and ancient art in uh, many different cultures. So tzitzit was not uh, specific to Israel. Uh, tzitzit was or fringe. Us- we should call it fringe. Decorative fringes. fringes. Right. Decorative fringes was yeah, not yeah. specific to Israel. In fact, uh, it seems like Elvis. Uh, there, there's the, oh, no, keep going. sorry, keep going. no doubt. Um, it seems as though uh, the higher people in a higher class, um, and possibly the military. Uh, I, I did a video on this on uh, pronomian.com, nonetheless. Um, it, it seems like the uh, the tzitzit or the the fringes that were used were were saved for people of a higher state uh, state state of of um, yeah just a, a higher uh, level within society, um, which is really interesting because it, it is my belief that uh, now Israel takes the thing that is meant for a higher class and uh, incorporates it. In other words, we we are all uh, the special class of God. In other words, we have all attained a special class because we're in covenant relationship with God. And I think that that's part of what the what the representation is of of the fringes that Israel's supposed to to wear. And there is a royal blue in the fringes, which is really interesting. But all of this to say, if you look at the the art of the fringes, they the the fringes that other cultures were wearing were not on some kind. It was not on the outer tunic. Uh, it, the clothes were made in much like 
our clothes today. So if you look at like your shirt, your shirt is, you know, a man's shirt is usually made of two pieces of cloth. They are sewed together. So two panels are sewed together and then turned inside out so that you don't see the seams. That is, so you have two panels. And on the, the artwork that we see with fringes in, in other cultures, it's the same kind of thing. They have paneled uh, clothing that is sewn together. And then the fringes are put on those where the seams are, though, on the corners of those panels. Now, was that the case in Israel? Who knows? Um, was there a tunic? Yeah, it seems like there is a tunic that that most people had, a tunic that would uh, keep you warm, uh, you would sleep in, things like that. And so were there tzitzit on those? Probably. And the uh, Encyclopedia Judaica uh, claims that the that this was the progression, that the, uh, the tallit simply comes from a tunic that over time becomes just a tallit. And I think that that's probably... I, I don't see any reason why that wouldn't be the case. Yeah, um, I, so it makes sense. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a tallit. I have two of them, and no, uh, I not don't at all. No. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Once you get into the mythological ideas of, you know, it represents the ruach hakodesh that now in, in, uh, encompasses you, and you have to do it a certain way, and you have to put it on a certain way, and you have to, you know, there's all these rules that are around it. This is all man-made, and uh, in in that in that case, I think that uh, Hasidic Judaism has now elevated um, a a perfectly good and normal tradition into uh, being on the level of you have to do it this way. And and that's where we get in trouble with many, many, many different things. Uh, well, yeah, because the Hasidic approach is going to be rooted in a Kabbalistic interpretation, which exactly. is that you're, you're repairing the world. And if you, if you don't, if you miss the Kavanah, if you miss the proper intention and the proper words that you're in danger of, actually causing damage instead right. of instead of repair Boom. so yeah you know for me i'm happy with a little you know little i don't know if you can see it little talit katan you know they call it it's right. just a little garment you know that goes underneath but i also have a couple big talits you know that are big and and it seems that the the you know here's the other thing too you know, there's times in in Israel where you need to wrap in an extra, you know, like anywhere, you know, wrap in a, an extra kind of garment to keep, like you mentioned earlier, keep warm. And there's, it seems to me that people were like, hey, if I've got this, even this, I might already be wearing some kind of smaller garment that has to leap. But if I'm, if I'm going to be having this other garment, I'm going to also put tzitzit on it. You know, right. I don't, I, I think that's a natural beautiful expression of, of, you know, of someone's and faith. And, and that, and that's the art that we have. If you look at the art for, of, of fringes on garments in the ancient world, it's not on, we don't have any of it being on a large cloak or anything like that. It's all on garments like that on, on your everyday garments. It's not, uh, it's not a cloak like Thing. Okay, let's move on. I want to get to, I want to, before we are done, I want to talk about this. Uh, this is actually, I think, I can't remember what I named this show, but uh, I think this is what I named it after. So we have Aaron3378 wrote a comment that says how, and I think that obviously the questions here are not actual questions, but more on um, trying to defend a point. Nonetheless, he says, how did Adam and Eve, uh, no, how did Adam ever get saved? How did Noah get saved? How did Moses get saved? How did how do we get saved today? All are different. 
So uh, once again, anyone who has listened to this show um, for any amount of time will know that we would strongly disagree with such a viewpoint. I believe that Adam was saved the same way that uh, that Moses was saved. Moses was saved the same way that Abraham was saved. All of those men were saved the exact same way that I am saved and that people during the time of Christ Hebrews 11. I mean, I don't know what to tell. You know, I mean, it's just... Preach. Yeah, it's the new covenant. The Hadashah is not is not time bound, right? It's it it the the efficacy of Yeshua's redemptive act is not it's not it's not a function of linear time in our understanding, right? So Natty yeah, uh, in it, the chat room says, "Saved from what?" And I would say that the gospel message is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that God has given us a way to uh, make that mark against to, God's To reconcile holiness. us back to himself. Exactly. Yeah. And and I, it seems the context of the quote you said, saved means, because it's true, saved from what? Saved in the Bible can sometimes be the a word for healing. Like Greek mm-hmm. students, it's like they go, oh, like, you know, your faith has saved you in the sense of like a person's hand was healed or something, you know, or, right. but, but the, in this context is like, he's saying all these people are different and they're saved period. And the idea of saved has to do with means, means they're going to enjoy life and presence of God forever, you know, in the resurrection. That's what I'm taking them brought to back into covenant relationship with God. Yeah. And ultimately this is the reason that I think, uh, this is the reason that we would say that both Rob and I, fully believe that the new covenant is not time-bound because the new covenant is what brings us back into relationship with God. So when Adam falls out of covenant relationship with God and is banished from the garden because of the sin that he has committed, then there is a way for him to come back. Remember that it says that on the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, the death that happens is the separation or coming out of covenant relationship with God. It is separation. So Adam and Eve are... Go ahead. Well, and, and if Jeremiah preached the Brit Hadashah to people he was telling to repent, how do we reconcile that? And not only that, the, Solomon's temple was still standing when Jeremiah is prophesying. What? Why is he preaching repentance to people if it doesn't do him any good because it won't be another four, you know, five, six hundred years before Jesus comes? Like, no, it's because he's he's preaching the truth to them and that some believed, right? Even in Jeremiah's day, the nation as a whole was punished according to the covenant, right? That, look, Jerusalem's not going to stand. You're going into exile. That didn't so, mean Jeremiah was an unbeliever. Jeremiah himself was a, was saved. So, so and he Nat, preached the Brit Hadashah. So yeah, Nat, Nat, Natty brings up a, a, another point. And I think this is a great, a great point. He says, so it's a future event that we are saved on Judgment Day. No, I would say that I am currently in covenant relationship with God. I have been brought into, into covenant relationship with God through the shed blood of Christ. That is not a future event. And that means that my sin has been reconciled because God has brought me back into covenant Romans relationship. He says, it means thus having been justified, 
right. by, by grace. We, Echelman, we have peace with God, even now. Right. Because why? Even though we're in a world full of unrest, full of sin, and we still have this groaning in our bodies to be to for redemption because we we have we're carrying around this cross, right? The old man's dying. We it's still reckoned that Yeshua's vindication is reckoned to us as our life in the present. And that's that goes either way in the timeline. Right. Yeah, and and this it's is how in, in, inaugurated eschatology. That's what it's called. Inaugurated. It's the already, but not yet. The, well, we've we've talked about uh, teachers who teach that you can't be sure that you are uh, that you are saved until judgment day, and I I reject that. I think oh, that we God. are. Could you imagine Yeshua going around and teaching? None of you can be sure. None of you can be sure. His disciples are like. Oh, Lord, we'll follow you everywhere. None of you can be sure. Like, it's just wrong. Yeah. That's such a wrong, wrong-headed view. But I hear, I've heard it, yeah, I've heard it recently, yeah. But we but, but we, we see that Abraham certainly believed that he was in covenant relationship with God. We see that Moses certainly believed that he was in covenant relationship with God. It wasn't a end-time, judgment day realization in yeah, the same how come way, in that, Romans four, Paul says Abraham, being fully convinced right. that God would be able to raise Isaac from the dead. Well, you know that the idea is Abraham understood resurrection. He understood that God calls into being what does not exist. That's pretty mind blowing, you know. Just thinking about you know what Paul's point there is in Romans four about Abraham's faith, right? He didn't say Abraham never knew or not whether he was saved. And he didn't know until he died. And even then, we're, now that he died, we don't even know. Like, that's, that's, well, that's even, not the gospel message. If someone's preaching that, uh, if they're preaching uncertainty, that's a mis... At the vi- most generous interpretation is that they're confusing the, the urgency to, to preach repentance with... With and the necessity of preaching repentance, with confidence and assurance. Well, we even we even have this in the in what. So I mean, we say this a lot, but Galatians three eight tells us that the gospel message is in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Right in that same passage, what happens? It is reckoned. To, Abraham believes God, and it's not that it's not Abraham believed God, and it will be reckoned to him on judgment day as righteousness. That's not what it says. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He is brought into the covenant because he is seen as righteous. It's done. All right. Are are we good on that? We done? I think so. One other thing that's on the Greek front, because, you know, one of the big conversations in the, among the top Bible, biblical Greek scholars, you know, Stanley Porter, Bill Mounts, um, uh, Constantine Campbell, you know, there, there's there's a whole bunch of them that I'm not even mentioning. Um, the issue is, is, is how do we teach aspect? How do we differentiate right. aspect versus tense? Well, one of the one of the key verses where this conversation comes down is at Yeshua's baptism, where he says, you know, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the idea is he uses the aorist, 
which means it's complete, which means that how can the Father, before Yeshua even starts his ministry, before Yeshua is even tested in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, before he's suffered the rejection and 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 the the um betrayal by Judas before he's even been spit on or slapped or mocked or hit or nailed to the cross none of that has happened and the father says i have already you my plea uh so, you know this is powerful almost makes me tear up you've already completely pleased me right that and so that's what's at risk when we talk about some of these nuances of greek grammar and the aspect the idea is in whom I am well pleased is communicated in the in the aorist, what we call the aorist tense form. And that means again, this is be it's outside of time. It means there is no the father has not a whiff. There's not a whiff that Yeshua is not going to go to the cross. Right. There's there's not there's not an uncertainty on the father's part at all. That's because the unity of the of Yeshua's heart attuned to the Father while he's in the flesh is so pure and true and and rock solid and un uh not budgeable that the Father could make that statement before Yeshua even starts preaching repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because it's it, so it doesn't matter from the father's perspective. It didn't matter that Yeshua had not gone to the cross yet, right? That's so it was seen as done. Yeah, it's already it it's already done. Now, if from our perspective, we say it's not yet because there's his years of ministry and and all the things that hadn't happened. But it's not like it's not like God was waiting to see whether or not Yeshua would actually. Is he really going to do it? Is he going to buckle? Is he going to buckle? No. Right. So that means time doesn't matter. That's the, that's the point here. Time, our, our use of, this, of chronology as a tool for organizing like history isn't applicable when it comes to the Brichadasha and the, uh, the sufficiency and application of Yeshua's redemption. Amen. All right, 253, uh, resource.com C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. You can also leave us a voicemail, uh, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. If you need something to help you count the Omer, there is a chart on the, I believe it's on the homepage of torresource.com, and uh, there's a little booklet you can get uh, with Bible passages in it. Uh, you can read one each day if you'd like to. You don't have to. And uh, yeah, we will be back next week on Wednesday, our normal day. And we will be back to uh, talk about all Nine, sorts of stuff. 930 time too. Yeah. Yep. It'll be a different. Yep. Pacific. The normal time. All right. Um, let me find my music here, which, uh, yeah. All right. Here we go. Uh, we are thankful to all of you, and we hope that this conversation has done one thing, at least, that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.